From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. 68 teams begin the NCAA tournament with visions of cutting down the nets, but 67 of them come up short in their journey. After a dominant first-round win against St. Bonaventure, the Gators saw their run come to an end in Dallas with a heartbreaking loss to Texas Tech. On today's show, we'll recap the end of basketball season and look to the future with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry. We'll also get the latest on spring football and Caleb Dressel's pursuit of history from senior writer Scott Carter. Finally, we'll be joined by track and field head coach Mike Holloway and sophomore Grant Holloway to hear more about track's indoor national championship. But first, we had a lot of ground to cover in this week's roundtable, especially since spring football is officially underway. Before diving into the early developments from Dan Mullen's practices with Scott, we asked Chris to help us wrap the basketball season by breaking down what happened in the Lone Star State. Well, I mean, if you had been there, you would have understood the biggest factor. I think Adam was the incredible energy and home court advantage that uh, Texas Tech enjoyed there. And uh, people might say, well, there's nothing neutral about that. But I mean, that's that's the way the NSA tournament is set up. Florida enjoyed that very same advantage the year before in Orlando and certainly at other times over the course of their uh, the last 25 years when they've had so much success. They went through uh Florida went through Jacksonville on the way to winning its second national championship, I believe. They went through Orlando on the way to uh, the the Final Four in 2014 and through Orlando last year with two big wins down there. And uh, it was a profound advantage, maybe more so even than Florida enjoyed in uh, in those times. But uh, this is a three seed. This is a team that won at Kansas. This is a team that won a lot of big games. It rose up to as high as number two in the country in January. Some really, really good veteran players in Keenan Evans, for one, the all all Big 12 guard, and some two of the best freshmen in the country. And the, their big players uh, came up big in that game. What I'll probably take away from that is that the game was at eight points uh, with, I think, uh, about five minutes left. The crowd had gotten out of hand. The game was on the verge of turning into a rout. And somehow Florida got some stops. Florida went to a zone, which uh, they'd done a couple times this year to disastrous results. They hadn't played it much, but they were in serious foul trouble. Chris Chios is on the bench with four fouls. Jalen Hudson has four fouls. And they didn't have a whole lot of options going on. And they went to the zone and got some stops, made some key baskets. Next thing you know, damn, the game's tied. Three minutes left in the game. And all of a sudden, that home court advantage, Adam, uh, was more home court angst. And damn, if just not quite 30 seconds left, right at the end of the shot clock, Keenan Evans stepped up and hit a really big three-pointer over that zone and kind of got them back into it. And yet the game was at five. The Texas Tech's up five with 25 seconds left. And Florida scores, gets the steal, and has two pretty good uh, three-point looks to tie the game. Um, I know for a fact Mike White was really proud of the medal his team showed in the in the final minutes against what would be you know a very good team and against I would say uh, significant odds being uh, where the game was in Dallas showed some fight and I think that was a microcosm somewhat of the maturity and the buy-in especially on defense that the team showed 
late in the season, uh, a little bit of what the they showed uh, in winning those last three regular season games. And you can sit back and think about it afterwards. Florida, their last seven games were all against NCAA tournament teams. Hmm. They finished against the highest level of competition that, that was out there. You look back on their schedule. Um, at one point uh, during the stretch of late December, when they played Duke and then FSU and then Loyola Chicago and then Clemson and then Cincinnati, I think maybe the, I got that back. It was, it was Cincinnati and then Clemson. You're talking right there. Four of those five games are against teams that are still playing in the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16. And you can make a case, obviously, that Cincinnati could have made it five of five had they not blown that big lead late. So uh, when Mike White has time to look back on it and sit out by his pool and maybe have a cold beer, he will be satisfied with what this team did, given a lot of the handicaps that it faced as far as roster limitations with um, the injuries to the guys in the front court and, you know, playing some young guys. But uh, the, the most pronounced handicap that they had was not having Johnny Bunu when they thought they would late in the season. They didn't have him at all for the whole season. Didn't have Isaiah Stokes for the whole season and only had Chase Johnson for four games. So uh, I think uh, Mike White needs to be proud winning 21 games, getting a six seed, finishing third in the SEC and doing it all uh, with integrity. Uh, I talked to Scott uh, Strickland um, the day after the game, and he had a really great quote about the direction of this program in terms of he goes, he sleeps real well at night with regard to the state of this basketball program, both on and off the floor. And he added that there's probably some people in his position around the country that may not be able to say that. You know, it's challenging in the aftermath of a game like this and, and just the, the NCAA tournament in general. You know, you see so many press conferences of really sad people. And that's that's just kind of the nature of the beast. There's going to be 67 teams that have disappointing press conferences and one team that has a triumphant one. But as far as Florida goes, uh, up on the, the dais, it was Chris Chioza, it was Igor Kulichov, obviously two guys who are not going to be there next year. Uh, just re- reflect on, on the senior class and specifically those guys and, and what they meant to this program. Well, I mean, in terms of Igor, it's a guy who came from cross country, came from overseas. It was his third school, graduate transfer. What I think was really special about this guy, he really blended in. I mean, he, he ends up living with Chris Chioza and Jalen Hudson and Johnny Bunu and he got real emotional talking about how the, the team kind of welcomed him and how, how easy the tra- they made the transition for him. And obviously he was a he was a big key to this team's success. He wasn't perfect. None of the guys on the team were perfect, obviously. That's never going to happen. But he brought three-point shooting. He had two shots uh, to tie the game in the last minute, one with 45 seconds left from the top of the key. He was wide open. And then, of course, that one with about five seconds left uh, that would have tied the game. And um, he's going to wear that for a while emotionally but i saw him the day after he this is a guy who's going to play professionally somewhere over probably overseas and uh it's it's not easy to be this grad transfer guy that's you're basically the you're the newcomer with a maybe a hired gun kind of mercenary label hmm. and you know how how are your teammates look at you well i think it, i think his teammates liked igor you know i know they did i know the fans did he'll be remembered as a guy who probably got the most out of his skills and his size because he was often more often than not, especially in the Southeastern Conference play, you know, battling against guys that were bigger than he was, and yet he held his own and ends up leading the team in rebounding. So uh, good for him. Congratulations to him. You know, Chris Chioza, um, where do we begin? Um, he will leave here as the all-time assist leader in school history. Played four years, never missed a game. Hmm. One of the toughest guys I've ever seen. Um, the trainer will tell you that also. Selfless player, uh, pass first point guard. 
Um, again, not perfect, but I mean, you look at his assist to turnover ratio is through the roof. There's no, uh, there's no coach in the country that wouldn't trade for those numbers that he had defense. Fantastic. Uh, he had his best defensive season this year, you know, uh, uh, first team, all sec first team, uh, you know, all, all defensive team and just a, a, a guy who just a, a, a fan favorite, the Chiefs phenomenon, obviously, uh, went to the next level, um, last season with the Wisconsin game. And obviously that sent his name more to a national level, but uh, he showed what he's capable of this year. I mean, I think, you know, halfway through the season, he was a candidate for uh, Southeastern conference player of the year. He ends up first team all league. Certainly that's warranted. He'll, uh, he'll one day be a sec legend for this, for this program. He'll one day be in the UF. Um, I would think athletic hall of fame for certain. Mm-hmm. So uh, I enjoyed dealing with this guy. I enjoyed watching him. I mean, I've talked to a lot of fans who say that, you know, when he's on the court, he's the one that that everyone was watching because so animated, so active, just did stuff in terms of his speed and quickness that, you know, you'll never forget. And what a career for him and his words on the podium. You spoke about those those sad moments. Um, He had a chance to leave. It was, he thought about it fleetingly when Billy Donovan left. He was the only leftover from the Billy Donovan era, um, but he did. He stuck it out said he wouldn't change anything and uh, we'll never forget his time. And obviously uh, the feeling's very mutual. We'll never forget him either. When a player like that leaves, it, it can always become hard to envision what the team looks like without him, especially when you play four years and you spend that much time on the court. But inevitably that's the, the next step is the future of this program without Chris Chioza and, and without Igor Kulichov. So as it looks right now, and obviously this is going to change, and we're going to talk about it uh, in the coming weeks as guys make decisions that could affect this, but as you sit right now and you look into your crystal ball at Florida's team next year, what does that look like? Who do we know is coming in? We don't know who's leaving. What are some of those decisions that are going to affect the shape of this team? Well, there's always attrition. I was looking back at uh, in just, say, the last uh, four seasons, and uh, there's been a, a minimum of two uh, uh, people leaving for whatever reason, whether it's to turn pro or to transfer transfer or for whatever reason, there was one season, uh, the, the, the bridge between Billy Donovan and, and Mike White were four people, actually, four players actually left. So we don't know what's going to happen with that. Jalen Hudson has some decisions to make because you, you go to the internet and look up some um, mock drafts. He's found in, in the second round in a couple, I see one where he's as high as 38. So is that something he wants to do? Uh, certainly, it's a it's an option for him. He's uh, on schedule to graduate, having transferred. This is his fourth year. He's on schedule to graduate in late summer. How important is it for him to get his degree? Does he want to get it next year? You know, if he if he was to come back, he's an automatic. I would think preseason All League candidate, that kind of player, and would certainly probably be the face of the team next year. Um, you look further down the line. There's it's Kayvon Allen, Keystone, and Kavari Sates, guys that came in together three years ago. Kayvon Allen had a, a disappointing year um, uh, by his standards. I, I, I think he would admit that. Uh, the, certainly the, the fans would probably say that. And maybe that was a byproduct of all of a sudden Jalen Hudson and Igor Kolachov are there and they're, they're taking his shots or whatever. But my counter to anybody who's ever said that is that Kayvon Allen has always had the green light from his coach. So if you have the green light, then no one's taking your shots. You can take your own shots if you want. Uh, it certainly didn't impact his minutes. <clears throat> he averaged more than 31 minutes a game this season. Uh, versus Chandler Hudson, who averaged 26.6 minutes and ended up leading the team in scoring. Uh, Kavari says the guy who took a step backward. I, I think a lot of it had to do with what was around him. Uh, you know, the guy, the guy has certainly provided energy and what have you in practice, and he was maybe the most vocal player in practice 
Um, didn't translate a lot to productivity on the floor. I mean, his rebounds went down. Uh, his point production went down. If you just got if you got six and six from the guy uh, every night, especially late in the season, Florida would have been in much better situations. Uh, so he has some work to do as far as uh, offensively, working on some stuff uh, in the low post and bettering his ability to finish around the basket and certainly improve on his free throw shooting. Keith Stone, I thought he played some of his best basketball late in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a rebounder. He, his defense improved somewhat, have to improve more, but I think, I think he's a stretch four player. He's not, he had to, he had to play out of position a lot. Like Kavarius Hayes did was overmatched at times, uh, in the post. They got to find the right place for those two guys to be and the right minutes for those two guys, two guys to play. Michael Coro, I think was somewhat of a surprise, you know, pretty reliable guy off the bench in terms of playing the combo position, he was signed as a point guard. I don't think he's going to ultimately be a point guard here, Adam. I think he's more of a, of a two guard. DeAndre Ballard is a guy was probably the highest regarded recruit or freshman on this class that came in this year. Didn't get a whole lot of chances because he's got a bunch of guys playing his position in front of him. He'll have more of an opportunity next year, but he has to, he has to be more of a threat of a catch and shoot guy for someone playing on the wing. He didn't shoot the ball well at all. Uh, everyone, the book on him was let him shoot versus letting him drive. He's a much better driver than he is a shooter. He has the by far the best work ethic on this team, and I think uh, he'll work all offseason to improve his shooting. Gorshak Gak is going to have to undergo microfracture surgery so uh, to repair that knee that dogged him all this year. We'll see what that does for his status next season because that's a that's a long process. But having said that, Will get underwent the same procedure and was back the next year playing. So. Uh, he needs to do that. It impacted his. He he didn't. He wasn't healthy all year. He was playing on a leg and a half most of the year. Sometimes only on one leg. Dante Bassett, a guy who continue who will continue to have to improve. Physical guy in the post. Um, people really like him. Uh, the pl- coaches really like him as far as his willingness to take on contact. But he just fouls too much. He fouls too much to keep him on the court enough to get in a rhythm and be effective. But he did have a couple moments this year that they can build on. Um, the two guys that we didn't see this year. Um, Chase Johnson only saw him four games and then the concussions came along. You're too uh, young to know this name, but, uh, there's a guy in the, in the basketball hall of fame by the name of Bobby Jones. He played for the Philadelphia 76ers, wildly athletic and long guy runs all day. Chase Johnson is going to be a really, really good basketball player here, Adam. He's a guy that really is going to fit. He has length. Uh, he probably has to improve his defense down the line and his shooting. He's going to have a really, really fine career here at the University of Florida. Uh, Isaiah Stokes came here with a bad knee, spent the all season rehabbing that knee and trying to get in condition. He needs to get down to about 270. He was over 300 for the bulk of the year. He'll be fine. He is a highly, highly skilled offensive player, Adam. A shooter, a pick-and-pop guy, something that they would have sorely needed this year in the post. Uh, he's not a great defensive player yet. He doesn't move particularly well laterally, but he has great hands and he'll be able to do some stuff offensively around the basket um, that the Gators will certainly welcome. Finally, Johnny Boone, who has a decision to make also, uh, I, I don't know if his decision will have a whole lot to do with what goes on at Florida because Johnny Boone could apply for a six year uh, under, under a medical hardship and it would almost certainly be granted since he hasn't played since last February. But Florida doesn't have a scholarship. Um, hmm. So where that stands would be would have to do with attrition and whether the, the coaching staff would would want him back, which I assume they would 
you know, he's 6'11", 255-pound uh, rim protector. He would instantly be one of the best five defensive centers in the country next year. So that would be something of an added bonus. So that is where that stands. In the coming weeks, we'll see where his health is. He hasn't been on the court. So um, I don't know if it's a decision his body will make for him, if it's a decision where he has to just say, hey, I got to get on the floor and really test this this knee because if you want to play pro, eventually you have to get on the court and play, obviously. Mm-hmm. Finally, three incoming freshmen. Andrew Nimhard from Montverde Academy. If I have to compare him to anyone, if you want to hear a comparison, he's Shea Alexander. And uh, I don't know that he's that good right away, but that's the kind of player he is. He's long. He's pass first. He's a decent shooter. I believe from the time he sets foot in the gym, he's the point guard next year, Adam. Wow. As a freshman. Uh, uh, guys out there listening to this podcast, Google Andrew Nemhard, uh, Montverde Academy, and you get a preview of, of what's coming with him. Noah Locke from Owens, Owens Mill, um, Maryland. Some people think he may be the sh- best shooter of this uh, incoming freshman class nationally. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that uh, off the cuff, but think of Michael Frazier. That's the kind of shooter he is. Hmm. He's a 2,000-point high school scorer and will certainly uh, be someone that uh, the Gators will be looking for for instant offense next year. And finally, um, Keontae Johnson from Norfolk, Virginia. Wild athlete. Man, 41, 42-inch vertical jump, a little bit of an alpha dog when he's on the court. Defense, long, block shots, runs like it runs the floor all day long. That's something that this team really, really needs. Somebody gets a little angry out on the court a little bit. And uh, I think he'll be an instant favorite with the Gators uh, from the first time he dunks a basketball. And those three guys, Adam, the Florida has a top 10 recruiting class or top 10 incoming freshman class. And again, Things happen. If guys leave for whatever reason, some other scholarships open, you never know what's going to happen. Because if we had had this podcast last year, and we probably did, I probably wouldn't even known the name Igor Kolachov. Sure. And he comes in and he scores 400 some points for the Gators. So uh, that's where it stands right now. Subject to change. I know I rambled for a long time, but uh, podcasts have no limit. Do they? <laughs> they do not. And that is as thorough a breakdown of next year's Gator basketball squad as anyone will find anywhere, and that's why they come to you. So spring is mostly dominated by basketball. Now that we've covered that, let's turn our attention to football because that's where everyone's going to be looking now. Spring practice finally underway, Scott. Uh, What stood out to you about the the first week, specifically the way the practices themselves look relative to the past? There was a lot of work on fundamentals, Adam, uh, which is, you know, it's natural at this time of year. A new coach taking over uh, in a new spring camp. There's going to be a lot of that stuff. Uh, but I thought maybe more so than usual. I mean, they would go over, you know, whether it was a seven-on-seven seven drill. you got to remember that they only opened up in, without pads or anything. You, it takes a few days to get acclimated to full contact and stuff. So this is a very preliminary stage that we're discussing. But uh, I just thought that there was a real heavy emphasis on fundamentals not moving on from certain plays until they had mastered it. And uh, even a couple of the players after the first practice, you know, obvious question was, well, what was different from a player's perspective? And uh, R.J. Raymond and Siante Lewis and some other guys said basically that we really emphasized the basics. We re- they didn't put too much onus from the start. You know, it wasn't like they had 35 plays to go out there and run. They they honed in on a few basic principles and refined them over and over in drills with different personnel groupings. And again, I think 
that's to be expected at this point. But, you know, for the players to say that, you know, I think it just told me that this new coaching staff, they, they're coming in in a real teaching mentality right now. They're, de- they're implementing new offense system, new defense systems. They're, they're taking an extra critical look at special teams because of, of the lack of production on that unit in recent years. And I think that all starts with being teachers. You know, you forget this is that time of year where they really have that opportunity. There's no game on the schedule. Uh, next week so they can they can take that extra time and commitment to getting the details down and I think just from observing and from talking to players that was really the takeaway on those first couple of practices the next inevitable question is which players stood out and I know a lot of the fans that got to go out to the practices they were certainly looking at what the offense was doing what the quarterbacks were doing Uh, I guess what's your assessment of, of those guys and then maybe some others that that people wouldn't have been looking for necessarily. Well, I'm going to start by referencing something you just mentioned, a word, fans. Uh, that, <laughs> was, that was something of, uh, you know, we can talk about this spring, the first couple of practices for maybe an hour or whatever. The one thing that struck me the most was just the fans that were out there. The first two practices were open, as we know. Uh, I think on Friday there was approximately 500 people came out. About a thousand on Saturday. I just noticed they were really enjoying their time. It seemed like the players and coaches were enjoying having them around. And Dan Mullen liked it so much that he went on Twitter Monday morning and said, Hey, come back out uh, on Saturday. Uh, we're going to open it again. And of course, that's a, a new approach, a fresh approach. I think it's been well received by the fans. If you, if you look on social media, there's been a lot of positive uh, about that. So, of, of everything we're going to talk about here, I think that new aura around camp was the biggest thing I noticed. Now you're getting the specific players who, you know, I was like everybody else out there. I wanted to see what Emory Jones looked like. It was a first chance to look at the freshman quarterback from uh, uh, LaGrange, Georgia. He looks like a freshman quarterback. You know, his footwork was obviously behind some of the other guys who have been in the program. But just from the eye test, you know, he, he's obviously a good-looking athlete. It's going to take time for him to get acclimated to this speed. Uh, a lot of things, I'm sure, was uh, going through his head as he uh, took that first uh, practice, as all those newcomers, uh, such as, you know, Trey Dean, a defensive back, was another guy. Uh, a couple of the young guys that did catch my attention were the two uh, freshman running backs, Damian Pierce and Iverson Clement. Uh, both of them looked really sharp. and and some of their agility drills, and some of the basic running back drills. And when they got on 7-on-7, seven seven, they, they found the holes on a couple of plays and broke off long runs. Uh, I thought they, they represented themselves very well. And then, of course, I'm looking at Felipe Franks. Uh, how does he look knowing that there's a new quarterback in town, that Kyle Trask is healthy, that Jake Allen has a, a year in the system under his belt? that he knows that there's a strong competition there. And that quite frankly, a lot of people hope it's not him as the starter. And I thought he did very well. Uh, I thought he looked sharp. I thought he looked confident. Uh, Mullen said after the first practice that, you know, in just talking to the quarterbacks, one thing he liked about all of them was, was their presence. And I, I thought Felipe Franks had the greatest presence out there, which you would expect, I guess, in some ways, since he is the most experienced. But, we, we've seen it at Florida before in recent years. I, I think the one that really sticks out to me is Jeff Driscoll. 
sometimes that criticism uh, from fans and from media can wilt a player's confidence. And I think maybe that happened to Driscoll at the end of his career at Florida, and then he goes on to Louisiana Tech, blossoms, and now he's earned a spot in the NFL. And uh, Felipe Franks, we don't know how it's going to play out with him in 2018, but I did like just his body language and some of the things that he was doing out there on the practice field. And we'll talk more about those players and the developments through spring next week and the week after that. Uh, I do want to ask you, Scott, about a former Gator you had a chance to talk to, not a guy who is in spring practice currently. He was many years ago, but now he's up in the, uh, the, the north counting his money. Tell us about your, uh, your chat with Trey Burton. You know, Trey Burton, he's been in the news now for, what, several weeks, ever since that touchdown pass uh, in the Super Bowl with the Eagles. Now has a name, uh, the Philly Special. If Eagles fans are going to remember that play forever. And, you know, Trey Burton was going into the year as a free agent, made that big play. And, you know, what really earned him this big contract with the Bears? Four years, $32 million. That's a lot of money, $22 million guaranteed for a player who went undrafted out of Florida. But as Florida fans know, what made Trey such a weapon for the Gators, even though they didn't have the team success that he obviously wanted while he was at Florida. Uh, but his versatility, that carried over into the NFL and what really earned him as a roster spot with the Eagles back in 2014. And he just kept filling different roles, and whether it was tight end, receiver, running back. He can obviously throw the ball, played on special teams, did whatever they asked and learned the system, developed into a, a good, productive NFL player. And now he's getting paid like one uh, from the Bears who, you know, have a young quarterback, Mitch Trubinsky. Uh, you know, Trey said he, he obviously, his heart was in Philly, but he knew that the Eagles probably weren't going to be able to match what the Bears offered him and and it was an opportunity to play a more prominent role on offense uh, as a a tight end. And again, he's one of those players that just shows you that uh, if you keep working hard, uh, keep uh, the right kind of mindset about being a professional and being a good locker room guy, uh, you can earn a a contract that a lot of players can only dream about. And a lot of players who uh, left college and left Florida with a lot more fanfare than Trey Burton. So Trey Burton's biggest moment came in Minnesota. Scott, you are in Minnesota right now as we're talking, and I think a lot of people would ask the question, why? So uh, tell us <laughs> what you're doing in Minneapolis. Well, I'm up here covering the Gators and the NCAA Men's Swimming Championships, uh, and more specifically Caleb Dressel, who uh, I think probably in my eight years covering University of Florida athletics all across the board, Uh, He may be the most impressive athlete in his respective sport of anybody I've encountered. Uh, If all goes well for Caleb Dressel, he has a great chance to be the face of American swimming at the Olympics and international competition uh, for the next decade as Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte. Obviously, uh, they've reached that age, Adam, where where you recently did in their 30s and they're starting (laughs) to fade out. Are you saying I'm fading now, too? Is that what you're insinuating? Well, no. I mean, if you were a swimmer, I would say that. <laughs> Luckily, your career choice, you hopefully are just hitting your prime. But <laughs> but in the swimming world, Caleb Dressel at 21 has a much greater future than, uh, than Phelps and Lockheed in their early and mid-30s. And, uh, and he's here in Minneapolis, obviously uh, kind of the marquee name 
after what he did at the Rio Olympics in 16. And he's trying to do something, uh, not only trying to help the Gators win a national title, uh, but also trying to add to his resume as one of the greatest college swimmers in history. And he has a chance starting on uh, the first night, uh, Thursday night, when he swims in the 50 free. He's trying to become the first swimmer in history to win the national title in that event all four years as a collegian. Uh, there's been other swimmers and other events who have done it, but no one in the 53 and uh, Caleb Dressel has that opportunity and, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he does. And it's even going to be just as interesting to see how the Gators do and then what Dressel does after his career winds up here this spring, because uh, you're going to hear about him a lot over the next couple of years leading up to the uh, 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. We don't have any Olympic medals to award with our PAT today, but I'm, I'm very excited about the PAT uh, because this is one of those questions that you could take in a whole lot of different directions. I'm sure that you guys will. But now that a 16 has beaten a 1, there's not many crazy sports events left we haven't seen because we saw... The Cubs won the World Series. A Brit won Wimbledon for the first time in forever. We broke the Triple Crown drought that was going on for almost 50 years. Uh, Cleveland even won a championship a few years ago. So my question to you guys is, looking big picture, what's the the next domino to fall? What's the next thing that's going to happen that we didn't think we would see maybe ever? Well, I would like a Washington, D.C. team to win a championship, but I don't think that's ever going to (laughs) happen. I don't know. This is this is a wild question. I, I hated seeing what happened, to be honest with you, as as crazy as that was and as historic as that was. I hated to see that happen to UVA because uh, as crazy as that was and, and historic as that was, I think a lesson, a great lesson was learned from how the Virginia program, their coach specifically, handled that moment in such incredible grace and dignity in such a you know, especially amid the social media vitriol and everything like that, I uh, that was historic on several and and really really enlightening on 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 several levels. But I'm just thinking, will a non FBS team ever beat Alabama? <laughs> we'll probably see uh, uh, Alabama Birmingham beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa before the Washington Wiz- Wizards ever win a uh, an NBA championship series. There, there's another one for you, Adam. How about an, like a lower, the lowest seed in the NBA in the playoffs actually win an NBA title? Yeah. Right now, if I ask you, Adam, uh, and I ask Scott about, you know, what teams are going to win the NBA championship there? There's four. There's no real underdogs in that anymore. And that's, and that's kind of sad to see also. So um, I'm all over the map with this. But again, that's what podcasts are all about. I was much more on point with my breakdown of the of the Gators <laughs> basketball team in, in 2018-19, but that's just how it is. Uh, that is a great question, Adam. Uh, that's one that, uh, you know, I never thought I'd see the Cubs. I think that's the, the biggest one of all in recent years. The, the Maryland-Baltimore County beating uh, Virginia. I always figured that would go at some point. Um, but I don't know. Maybe Floyd made Mayweather losing a fight. You know, he's what fifty and zero. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he he's a guy that obviously is the end of his career. Uh, you got to believe that he loves the limelight and loves the paychecks enough to where he'll eventually get back in the ring. Personally, as someone who is not a huge fan, I wouldn't mind seeing somebody knock him out. Uh, oh, I, I'll, I I'll be I'll be in line actually right in front of you to see that. <laughs> so you know, that's one that uh. I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, 
a team sports boy, you're right. That's I don't know. I mean, we've seen so many. Like I remember Navy finally beating Notre Dame a few years ago after what 43. If you're a Florida fan, seeing that Vanderbilt win over the Gators a few years ago or Georgia Southern, things that boy, you didn't think that would happen. I mean, all streaks like that come to end. We know that one day the Gators are going to lose to Kentucky. I think it's up to 30 in a row. Hopefully, it doesn't happen anytime soon. Um, but yeah, good question, Adam. Uh, the one that I'd really like to see is the Cowboys actually get back to the Super Bowl and win it. Yeah, I don't know how universal that one is. You know, the Cowboys did just <laughs> win a Super Bowl about, what, 25 years ago? Yeah, but, you know, it's been a long time. I mean, you were still in diapers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like that both of you guys have uh, a little oh, self-serving answers. Uh, Chris wants Washington to break through. Scott wants the Cowboys to win. I, I just want Atlanta uh, to win something. <laughs> anything at this point so we all have our own we'd love to see uh but no some some good uh some good observations as well about bigger picture stuff that would shake the sports landscape and uh i don't know if we're gonna be shaking the sports landscape this weekend but certainly there are a lot of things to cover chris is going to be uh recharging his batteries we'll see him resurface here soon covering a variety of gator sports scott he is covering the NCAA swimming championships follow him at gator scott and check out his content at florida gators Dot com. Gentlemen, thank you very much as always. Uh, thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. While most fans were focused on basketball, the Gators claimed their 40th team national title last week when men's indoor track triumphed in College Station, Texas. While it was their first indoor crown since 2012, Mike Holloway's team has won three outdoor titles since then, including the last two back-to-back. We had the chance to sit down with Coach Holloway and star sophomore long jumper and hurdler Grant Holloway to discuss their latest hardware. But they both wanted to start by clearing up a recurring question they get all the time. How, if at all, are the two Holloways related? Both our last names are Holloway. That's where it starts right there. But no, we're, you know, we've traced our roots so far to his grandfathers and my father all being born in the same county in Georgia. And we are actively pursuing the exact connection right now. But by all, and we all, we also both have common cousins that live in South Florida. So it's been verified by his side of family and my side of family that they're both cousins. Like there's a, there's a big Holloway family reunion that occurs every year in either South Florida or Southern Georgia. And we both have relatives that attend those every year. Every year. I don't go with Grant because, you know, he, everybody just pays attention to him. They won't pay attention to him. <laughs> <laughs> did you know about your potential relation like when you started recruiting that stan was the first one that brought it up kind of made made a reference to some things that made me go hmm i think we, we may be related and then stan being stan said trust me we're related <laughs> <laughs> okay well I'm, I'm glad we cleared that up now that we cleared that up we have some important business to talk about which is a national championship so let's start with that Coach Holloway, you've won so many national titles recently. I imagine that, that this can they can start to run together. Can you talk about what makes this one in particular special to you? I mean, they're all special. Um, I think this one was special because, you know, we left a lot of things off the table, so to speak. Some areas where, you know, we should have done better, had people qualified, it didn't happen. And so I think there were a lot of people that doubted that we had the ability to do this. And it was special because, as always, we sat down as a staff and as a team and decided what we could do. We went in there and we got it done. And you know, like I always tell them, there's a computer that keeps the score. Let's just try to put up more points than everybody else. And that's the way it worked out. 
Grant, you've been around for a, a few years now, and, and you keep winning national championships. What was special for you about this one? More so, this one was I kind of executed on, on, on all cylinders for, for my part. I know when I first got here, um, 2017 indoors, I kind of didn't do what I was supposed to do in long jump. So I made it to a point that this year at Indoor Nationals, I told Coach Holloway that I got his back and then that I was going to go out there and try to win it. But then also, I only took five jumps while everybody else took six. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say we need to change the schedule or anything, but I figured if I had one more jump. That's what he's trying to do. <laughs> I figured if I had one more jump, I think I could um, at least try to push to 27 feet or 26-11 to, to win it. But, I mean, Will Williams did an awesome job on, on his last jump to secure the back. And I want to talk about that, too, because I know that was a really pivotal point in the meet, Grant, when you had that decision to make whether you – continue jumping to improve your standing or if you were going to move over the hurdles to start warming up you ended up with a better jump and then an incredible hurdle time without even warming up so can you take us through that decision and how you're able to to pull that off coach holloway called me over after my fourth jump third third jump and he was like okay we have to we have a decision to make either we can go warm up for hurdles and just be satisfied with third place or you could stay here for two more jumps and then just go run the hurdles. So I told him I wanted to stay and jump because running the hurdles at that point was, you know, secondary. All I had to do at that point was get, I think, run seven, eight or better. And even throughout the whole year, even as I was warming up, I could always feel myself, you know, I could feel my speed in between everything. So I stayed for two more jumps and I scratched my fourth one. And then on my fifth one, I did what I had to do. And then with, Within five minutes, I had to go run the hurdle race. So I feel like I made one of the a better executive decisions that Coach Holloway put me through. And Executive decision. <laughs> I feel like I made that executive decision in, in order to get that jump, and I feel like it was probably one of the better decisions I made here. How tough is it to leave that decision up to an athlete like Grant, or is that how you always operate? It's up to them to decide what they want to do in that situation. Well, I mean, I think it has to be, you know, in his comfort zone. And so that was, like I said, the decision is yours. Either we can go on for the hurdles and stay on the 796, or we can continue to jump and just go right to the hurdles. He never flinched. Before I could get out of mouth, he's like, I'm going to continue to jump. And I'm like, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's what we'll do. I mean, we, we do this in practice where we go launch and come right over and hurdle. So it's not something, it's something that we prepared for. So it wasn't something that was totally foreign to him. But the biggest thing was like, if he had a kind of hemmed and hawed about it, it had been different. But as soon as he said with confidence, I'm just going to continue to jump and I'm going to go hurdle. And he told me, he said, you know, I'm going to jump a lot further. And he did. So, in, in the history of the sport, no one has ever hurdled as fast and jumped as far as Grant has in the same indoor season. So, Grant, first for you, how do you build off of this performance and, and continue to get better? Just continue to come out come out to the track every day and giving 110%. I mean, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. So I, I can't ask for a, a, a perfect practice, but I can come out to practice and try to make everything else permanent so that I know what the feeling feels like and I can continue to do what I do best on the track for, for you guys. But then also, as I come out to, tr to practice, I know Coach Holloway has to, you know, stay on my back because I would say for Coach Holloway, like he said to me, he never had an athlete like like me who could do two events like I do at my elite level. So um, hats off to Coach Holloway for staying on my back. And then big hats off to Coach Peterson for um, even allowing me to do both. I mean, 
he asked me when I first got here, was did I want a long jump? And I said, of course. So I feel like that I just need to continue to um, continue to work, work on my craft, and then I'll be able to do everything that I wanted to do. And for, for Coach Holloway, I mean, how do you continue to push the right buttons for an athlete like Grant that, that is so talented? Well, you know, the, the ironic thing is, is that anybody knows me, I'm, knows I'm a taskmaster. And if we're going to do something, we're going to do it right. And, you know, I sat in Grant's living room and I promised his parents I was going to push him not only to be a great athlete, but to be a great person. So that's my charge with him every day. You know, if we're doing something in practice, we're getting better. We don't practice just to practice. We don't do things just to do them. We do them to get better. And, you know, I'm hard on Grant. And I think, you know, sometimes he doesn't understand it in the moment, but then later on he gets it because our job with Grant is we've got to this this crazy elite level. And the worst thing we could do is get complacent and let him fall back. Like, you know, I saw some mistakes that he made in the national indoor meet. And trust me, we're going to work on those this week. But we're not going to just be satisfied with being the best collegian hurdler. We're trying to be the best hurdler on the planet. That's our goal. In terms of other things from the meet other than Grant, I know a, a big factor was Keandre Bates and what he was able to do for you, especially after the, the tough showing at SECs. Can you just talk about the way that he came back and performed and how critical that was at the indoor championships? I think that people in Keandre's case, um, I think people were being overly critical of Keandre. He's a human. He had a bad meet. But if you go back and look at it, Keandre's had a, a, a greater measure of success at the indoor championships than any jumper we've ever had here. And that speaks volumes. So we were never concerned that Keandre would be a problem at the national meet. We were never concerned that there would be a problem. He just had a bad meet at the SEC. Those things happen. But like we, I told him the true measure of any champion is how do you respond to this adversity? And he looked at me in the eye. He goes, coach, I got you. you know. And he went out there and he, and he did his job. And we still don't think he was at his absolute best. But again, because he's a champion, because he's the guy we can always count on, he really stepped into the game and, and did what he needed to do. You know, just a, a few weeks ago, we came off of the, the Winter Olympics, and I think people, because that have been conditioned to watching racing and understanding just how razor thin the margins can be between winning and losing. Uh, in this championship in particular, is there a race, is there a moment that stood out to each of you as maybe one that <laughs> made the difference where it could have gone either way? Clayton Brown. Clayton Brown. <laughs> you know, he, he gets up on the runway for his third attempt. He's 14th. And he goes from 14th to third. And that was the magical moment. That's when we all knew, okay, hey, we, we can win this thing. That was big on Clayton's part. But that was the moment that that was the trigger. You know, I that was I told Zach that if we can get 13 or more points in the triple jump, then we're, we're going to win this meet. I agree. Yeah. Looking at your success recently in, in the outdoor championships, you guys are back-to-back, but this is your first indoor title since 2012. What's made the indoor one maybe more elusive for you in, in recent years? Um, some other really good teams. <laughs> you know, you Oregon, Arkansas, and m last year. I think last year we made some mistakes, and kudos to A&M, they capitalized on them. And, uh, you know, Pat Henry's a great coach, so, you know, again, kudos to them, but I don't think it's been anything other than, you know, us going there and getting beat by some better teams. We lost by half a point last year. Obviously in 16, I don't know what that fiasco was, but obviously I'm the head coach, so that was my fault. But, you know, in, uh, in the other years, we performed well. I mean, I think there was in one of the years, either 13 or 14, we had a great meet in Arkansas. I just had a better meet, you know. So it's not like we've gone there and laid down. I don't think we've been less than third other than, than the 2016 debacle. But, you know, it's just we we've been consistent. Obviously our goal is to win it every year, but, that's that's not realistic either that we're going to win all the time even though we'd like to 
Yeah, speaking of that consistency, you finished in the top three at 18 of the last 19 NCAA championships overall. Um, I guess first for, for Coach Holloway, what do you attribute that level of consistency? Yeah, but first of all, you're blowing Grant's mind over here. He had no idea. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's recruiting. You know, having having guys like Grant and Keandre on the team and Clayton and those kind of guys on the team helps tremendously. But, you know, there's a pride that runs throughout the program, you know, whether it be my assistant coaches, you know, our strength staff, our trainers, all the support people, you know, they all understand the pride and the passion we put into the program, you know, and it's just everybody. I get as many compliments about our, you know, our success on the track as I do um, Zach and all the stuff that he puts out. I mean, people, there are people who are like, hey, man, you guys are not. I'm like, leave him alone. I don't, <laughs> I don't even be losing my man Zach. So, but um, everybody and everything associated with the program takes it very seriously. It takes a lot of pride in it. You know, so I think that's where it starts. And if you'd asked me 10 years ago if this was going to happen, I had no idea. But now that we've got it started, we don't want to, we don't want to drop the ball. And for, for you, Grant, from the athlete side, what do you see in terms of that consistency and, and what allows that to continue? I mean, like you said, recruiting. I mean, at first, I, I don't know if everybody knows this, but I was originally going to go play D1 football at University of Georgia. But then when all that crazy stuff with Mark Rick and the whole coaching staff started going on, Coach Holler called me up. And he was like, hey, I want you here. So within, I think, about a month, I called Coach Holler and we had like, what, 30 to four, an hour conversation. We were just talking about, he was just talking about all the promises and everything that he could do for me. And Basically, I, I gave up football to, to come here, to let Coach Holloway get his hands on me, let him perfect me. So, you know, Coach Holloway is doing a phenomenal job with recruiting. He knows he knows how to keep his promise. He's a man of his word. So I don't think you can ask more for a head coach. A couple years later, how do you feel about that, Grant? Do you miss football? Do you wish you were still playing, or is, is this fulfilling you? Um, I miss football, of course. I mean, that was that was the first thing I did growing up as a, as a child. But I feel like I made the right decision. Coach Holloway is just is just a is just an awesome guy, you know. I mean, for him to keep his promise three years later after he, after he recruited me, is, you know, it's, it's it's a blessing because one on my on, on my part is because my parents were harping on me, saying uh, track can go either way, you know, you can get injured or you know something like that could happen. But then at the same time, Coach Holloway kept his promise. He, he kept me healthy for two years now, and we're still going strong. Before we move on from talking about this meet, uh, Coach Holloway, I do want to ask you about the performance for the women because they actually surprised a lot of people with the top five finish. So while the men I know are collecting a lot of the headlines right now, can you talk about the women's performance and what this means for them moving forward? Yeah, extremely proud of that group. Um, going in, we might have surprised a lot of people. We didn't surprise ourselves. We knew that we were ready to do those things and actually thought we could be even better in a couple of areas. But, you know, I think the women are just starting to believe. I've always told them they have the talent. And the difference between the men and the women is the men get on the bus and they expect to do well. The women have been getting on the bus hoping they would do well. And this is the first time in a while that we got on the bus knowing we were going to do well. Because everybody that put the uniform on that those two days just went out there and got after it. It was, it was phenomenal to watch. And like I told them after the meet, that we have to make this the standard now. We have to expect to be in the infield every year now. We can't be fourth and then go outdoors and be 13th or something crazy. So, you know, Unlike a lot of other sports who have to wait a whole other year to try and win a championship, you guys uh, within a couple months can win multiple championships. So as you move ahead to the outdoor season, uh, tell us about the Pepsi relays coming up and what the expectations are for that meet. Well, you know, the thing with the relays is, you know, we it's always an exciting time for us because, you know, we, we welcome everyone to our house. 
And no matter how hard I train them and try to get them not to run fast because of the excitement and everything that goes on with the relays, that you know, you're going to see great performances here. And so, you know, we're just excited to get outdoors. You know, we, we live and train outdoors every day. So it's an easier transition for us than most. And some of the other schools up north are still training inside. But, you know, we're just excited to get outside and open up and, and, and see some of the great events we have. We're excited about our 4x1s. We're excited, obviously, about the 4x4s. Grant gets to go to the 110s now. You know, Corey Poole in the 400 hurdles. You know, we have our weight throwers are much better hammer throwers. You know, we get to see Avion Allgood, who's our All-American javelin girl, open up. And, you know, it's just there's a lot of special things that we think are going to happen outdoors. And we're excited to open up that can and, and get started. For the, the layman here, and I include myself in that category when it comes to track, outside of the obvious, can you tell us maybe some of the biggest differences between the indoor season and the outdoor season? Well, I think the biggest difference is outdoors is more about head-to-head competition. You know, you only got to be in the top 48 in your half of the the country, and then you get to go to the regional champion or the preliminary round and compete against against other people to get there. So indoors, you're chasing this magical mark. You got to be in the top 16. Outdoors, you just got to be in the top 48. You got to time your training right so that you can now get in the top 12 and then go to the Nationals and be at your best. I like the outdoor model better. Um, because I, I like head-to-head competition. I'm a you know former high school coach, and that's what you did at that level. So I'm, I'm used to that model. Final question for you guys. Uh, as we noted before, you are the back-to-back outdoor champs, and now an opportunity to sweep both indoor and outdoor titles for the first time and only time since 2012. Uh, just from each of you, what do you think are the, the keys to making that happen? Being healthy, staying humble, staying hungry. And, you know, I think... When you have a group as talented as we are, um, we have to be cognizant of the fact that, you know, we can get complacent, we can get lazy, and we just can't allow that to happen. You know, like as a coaching staff, I need to stay on myself, I need to stay on other coaches. You know, Grant has to be, you know, hard on himself as well as his teammates. They have, we all have to support each other. Like, you know, there are times when Grant may have to say to me, Coach, hey, I can do this in practice. You know, don't be soft on me. You know, challenge me hard. He doesn't do that, but. If he needed to, he could, you know, because I'm not going to back off him. But, you know, that's the key here is like, let's, let's, nobody's ever going to be perfect. But if we chase perfection, then we end up being pretty daggum good. I don't want Coach Holloway to be hard on me, so you could just take that <laughs> off the record. But like he said, we have to come out to practice every single day and um, we got to know we're the best. We got, um, like Coach Holloway says before practice every day, practice makes permanent. It doesn't, it doesn't make perfect. So, um, for me, as a leader on this team, uh, as a sophomore, you know, that's great. But then at the same time, like I said at my press conference, I got to make sure all my boys are ready for any type of competition. And nine times out of ten, like I said, it's always going to come down to the four by four. So I have to make sure my core three are, are locked and loaded um, on the time where that, that we need to be best. Well, gentlemen, we really appreciate your time and uh, wish you luck into the outdoor season. And, and we hope that you, you do use maybe the, one of the 23andMe or one of these and we're able to figure out exactly what this relationship is uh, before the next time we talk. How's that sound? Hey, that, that's not a problem, but I'm, I'm, we're going to hate to have to disappoint everybody. We are definitely family. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Check out baseball and softball this weekend as they both return home for critical SEC showdowns, then come back next Thursday where we'll break it all down. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the MAC.